We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Today you are in for a treat. You have come on new series morning. This is like the moment you get a brand new toy, a gadget or a piece of furniture, and you get to unbox it and see it's in all of its shining newness. And this year, we have been going on a little bit of a, a discipleship-type journey, and we're going to continue that. We began uh, this, the beginning of this year by doing a series called Grow Together, looking at discipleship and seeing how we can grow closer to Christ. To Christ sorry. And that journey is uh, not just about me. It's about being intentional in being involved in relationships with others. And we encourage you in that series and continue to encourage you to be involved in a connect group, a group of people you can do life with and you can grow in discipleship together. Then around Easter, we looked at a series called The Victor, how Jesus is the victor over all the things that stand against us, the devil, chaos, sin, and death, and how we need to rely on the name of Jesus Alone. We're going through the series we've done because every year when we have a, a volunteers night, we ask you to remember as many as we can. So this is kind of like your swap for that uh, coming up if you're a volunteer. And then we did one most recently called Prophesy. And in this series, we saw how God can uh, speak through each of us, not just be a victor in our lives, but he can speak through each of us to others as we prophesy. And now we come to our new series. And this series we have called Overflow. In this series, we want to take you into what it takes to have a life of God overflow in us, to see God's life overflow. How do you do that? How do you get to the point where you can see Christ's abundant life is overflowing from us like that waterfall? And it's flowing to the world around us like the person underneath with, with some good things flowing on top of them and them joyfully receiving it. And hope, and that's what a rainbow means, in case we forget. And that's what we want to see. We want to see God's life overflow. And we want to have a look. How do we get there? Here's how John 10.10 10 says it. It says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, what Jesus means is not just a life about myself, consumed by my own desires, but a life that overflows and brings God's life to others. Life flowing into our relationship with God, with others, and to the world around us. And that's what I want to see in mine. Is that what you want? Like, seriously, is that what you want in, in, in you? You want to see that life flowing over out? It's, I hope so, because following Jesus is not just for those who want to get by. It's for those who want to thrive this way. The problem is, however, that uh, some Christians, some may even say many Christians, don't experience that kind of life. It seems that something is missing from our discipleship journey because sometimes we don't really get it. To illustrate the difference, let me present to you this morning two different Christians for your consideration. Here's Christian A. This is Frank. Frank has given his life to Jesus. Most people would say that he is a good Christian. He doesn't swear. He doesn't drink. He's not married, but he talks about women respectfully. If you were to ask him, he would honestly say that Jesus is the Lord of his life. 
There is not much from the outside that looks uh, wrong with Frank. He ticks all the boxes. In fact, Frank is the kind of Christian we often try to make people into. Yet, those who know Frank know that he also has some not-so-good moments. His friends have noticed that he's usually great fun, but if someone offends Frank, he gets very quiet and very withdrawn. His workmates would say, if you challenge an area that Frank is respected and he gets very defensive, and if you really push him, he holds grudge. He can't wait to let his colleagues know what someone else has done wrong. Someone told him once that it was gossip, but he doesn't think so. Most people who really know Frank would say he actually has a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Now, I want you to consider Christian 2, or B, uh, Lucy. Lucy is a married mother of three and committed to her saviour, Jesus. She would tell you she is still a work in progress. There are still areas of her life that she is bringing to God. She still gets mad at her kids sometimes. She's regularly actually a few minutes late. She looks like she hasn't had time to do her hair and her clothes don't quite match. She says she, she actually has no interest in social media. She occasionally says slightly awkward things, but doesn't seem to mind. She seems completely at ease with who she is, accepting both her strengths and her weaknesses. When she's challenged on something, she listens deeply and thanks the person for their perspective. When someone is down and hurting, she's willing to take whatever time she has available to be a listening ear. She is wisely generous, giving of her time and resources without it being a burden on her family. What do you think is the difference between Frank and Lucy. Now, I made them both up, so let me tell you the difference. And, and actually, uh, these are definitely made up. They, they aren't even real pictures. Uh, here's, here's something spinny for you. I had AI create these pictures. What I did is I put a description of Frank in, and that's what, look, let's look at Frank again, Jim, if we go back to Frank. Uh, when I described Frank, that's what AI came up with. Uh, and then when I described Lucy, that's what AI came up with. Now, that was just for the pictures. The rest of the, the sermon I wrote myself. Don't worry. <laughs> not you're getting ChatGPT to write sermons for me. But pretty wild that they can come up with pictures like that, hey. Um, but back to Frank and Lucy. The difference is that Frank and Lucy both worked on different parts of their iceberg. You know the iceberg? We all have an iceberg. There is the part that you see. It's the part that's above the water, the part that everyone looks at and is impressed by. That is where Frank spends most of his time in his relationship with God. He's worked hard to form good habits and the key rules of Christianity. He's made the top of the iceberg look real pretty. But in the deep areas of his identity, of his security, he hasn't brought those areas to God. It just seems too hard. Lucy, however, has worked on the bottom of the iceberg, the 90% that is unseen. She's spent time with God, exposing the deep areas of her life and asking him to bring complete healing in those areas. Over time, she's seen slow and gradual change. She lives from her security in Christ. She knows deep down that what others say or how good she is do not define her. It only comes from her love relationship with God. She now cares less about how much she has and what others think. Instead, she tries to live as an authentic human being. Imagine if we had a world full of authentic humans. Knowing God, serving others, and growing with the help of God's, of God's Spirit. 
In this series, we want to challenge you to be less like Frank and more like Lucy. To have our lives filled with the right things and let that overflow to the world around us. So how do we even start to do this? Well, it's a process, and I hope you like the end result. I hope that you affirmed earlier that you want to go back to that overflow picture, have that life overflowing from you. And I hope that's the case because many people don't like the process, and so don't do the process. If I'm honest, even sometimes I don't like the process. But what it looks like is best found in a psalm in the Bible. The psalms were Israel's prayer book. These were the prayers that the followers of Jesus prayed, the prayers that Jesus prayed himself. And we're going to look at one of the most famous of the psalms, but from an angle we don't normally see it. We're going to look at Psalm 139. Now, Psalm 139 is the I'm special psalm. It's the God loves me so I have value psalm, which is true and is so good. Uh, and it's also the uh, God is uh, it's kind of like the theological psalm. It's the psalm that people look to to go, God is omniscient. He knows everything. But this psalm wasn't written just for our self-esteem or to put in a theological textbook. It was written as a prayer. So we're going to read parts of it and see what the psalmist is praying and see whether you could pray that prayer too. Here's verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Psalm 139 says that God knows us. Yet this isn't knowing someone like you might say, oh, do you know so-and-so? And you go, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that person's name before. I know them. No, this is a deep knowing. In the Old Testament, in the old language, when Adam and Eve uh, got together to create a new child, it says that Adam knew Eve. What a, and it's the same word. And what it meant was there was It wasn't just a knowledge of who she was, but it's actually talking about sex. And I know you might go, oh dear, I didn't think we were going to be talking about that. Stick with me for a second. Because the biblical idea of sex is that it's an act of vulnerability and acceptance. It is sexual intimacy, where you can be naked and have all your frailty seen before another and still embraced with love. Now, sex... Uh, includes many other elements like passion, desire, pleasure, fun, uh, reproduction, and self-giving love. But one of the key aspects that seems embedded in biblical knowledge is the intimacy of knowing and being known. That's why it was never meant to be a casual or one-night thing. It's designed to be expressed in the otherness of a man and a woman that represents the otherness of Uh, us and God, Christ and the church. It's designed to be expressed in a lifelong relationship of knowing and being known. Could be something to have a bit of a chat about in your relationship. But this is not a message about sexual intimacy. But that is a picture that the Bible gives us of being deeply known. God longs to be even more intimate with us. He wants to know the deepest parts of our life. He wants us to allow his light to shine on the dark parts of our life and offer them to him to recreate. The aim of this series is that we open the deep parts of our life and give those parts to God in devotion that he might transform us and use us to bring love and life to the world. 
starts with us bringing ourselves to God and revealing our nakedness, our frailties, and our hidden places. And the best person to do this with is God. He knows all about us already. And this psalm, Psalm 139, is some of the most beautiful poetic reflections on how God knows us intimately. Let's read some of these verses of some of what the psalmist says about how God knows us. Psalm 139, verse 2. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Verse 12. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is a light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. That is how God knows us. Can you ever be more known than the way that God knows you? He knits you together. But the psalmist doesn't use that as an excuse for their behavior, nor do they get weighed down by the broken parts inside of them. The psalmist saw God's intimate care and love and just praised God for that knowing. God is the one who can know us and who can tell it like it is to us. He sees, he knows, and he still loves us absolutely, completely. And so the first part of this process is to say to the God who knows us already, God, I invite you in. Will you know me? Even though God knows us so well, there often seems to be barriers that we put up to him and his involvement in our lives. I remember talking to someone once about an area of their life that needed to be worked on. We identified the behavior that wasn't quite right, and I tried to suggest that to fix this, fix this area, we needed to do a deep dive and figure out why they couldn't live without this thing in their life. And if they were honest, and as they were honest, they kind of said, I don't really want to do that work. I just want God to change me. Can you just pray for me? Pray a prayer and then check in on me to see that I'm not doing this sin anymore, to see if I'm not doing this thing that's wrong anymore. And, of course, we did that. We, we prayed and I checked in on them. And, and God does bring breakthrough in our life through this way. But I suggested them that deep and lasting change would be more effective if they could find the reasons for their sin and address those. And they never took me up on the offer. And they continued to struggle with that, that area. See, I have a, a dentist appointment tomorrow. And I know this might be a sensitive area uh, for some people. But, and I know a lot of people don't actually go to the, the dentist. But I think it's really important to go to the dentist. 
Because if there is an issue with any of my teeth, I want to get to the root of the issue, excuse the pun, and I want to deal with that issue before it becomes a major thing. And we know that in our dental care, but sometimes we don't do that in our lives. So what prevents us from letting God into these places? If this is the pathway to intimacy, a life free of sin, a life overflowing with God's love, why would we not want to do it? I think one reason is is we don't know how, which we'll get to, but the key reason we don't want to do it is this tiny thing called shame. Shame says that who I am is no good, that at the base of my life there is something that is broken. Shame is what caused Adam and Eve to hide when they sinned. And we have the tendency to do the same. We hide too. And the reason for this is we have a deep need to be seen as a good person. It's what the way Frank lives. He wants people to see him as a good person. But that same behavior can be a barrier to going deeper to seeing real change. Adele Calhoun says this, We are invested in looking like good moral people. After all, appearing good is one way of dealing with the notion that something is wrong with us. You know, it's a way of trying to cover up that there's anything wrong with us. However, true repentance means we open the bad in our lives to God. We invite him to come right in and look at our sin with us. That's what the psalmist does. He pushes past his shame and asks God to uncover the deep parts of him. He prays the prayer, I want to challenge all of us to pray this week. Psalm 139 verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What would it look like if you could pray that prayer this week? Search me, God. Investigate my life and make me clean. Shine upon the darkest place in me. What if you could be fully honest with God about yourself, about the affairs of your heart? What if you could bring your anxious thoughts to God? What if you could lay your sin before God? Not just the sinful actions, but the attitudes, the values, the self-righteousness, the self-obsession and self-protection that causes those sins. So that's what we are going to challenge you to do. Now we come to the how. How do you even start to do that? All right, I, okay, I'm going to put shame aside. I'm going to pray and, God, and say, God, searched me. I want to sit in that place with you, knowing the deep parts of my life. How do we even begin to do it? Well, in your devotional notes this week, we've given you some questions. We've given you some exercise uh, that you can do to help uncover these deep places. Read the scriptures this week and answer the questions as you prayerfully let God in and process it with others. This is where connect groups are so great, being able to talk about your reflections on these things. But let me outline just one way you might begin to go about this. It's not in the devotional notes. I've uh, pulled it out for this reason. It's a question to ask yourself when you recognize you've had an overreaction or an underreaction that you know is not right. Sometimes we have big reactions and they're justified, they're right. But oftentimes we see in an overreaction or an underreaction, as you take some time to reflect on that situation, 
you see that there is something going on underneath the iceberg, a bit deeper down. So I just want to give you one question to ask yourself when that happens. Why was that so bad? Why was that so bad? So Frank is at work, right? We've got Christian A. Frank. He's at work and he notices that someone told him off and he went really quiet. He might ask the question, why was that so bad? And then if, he's, if he kind of goes through it, he goes, well, I don't like someone talking down at me. Okay, that's good. Why is someone talking down at you so bad? Because maybe it makes me feel like everyone sees me as a failure. Okay, why would others seeing you as a failure be so bad? See, we're going down into the iceberg now. We're getting a little bit deeper each time. Well, because I don't want others to think little of me. Right. And why is others thinking little of you so bad? Because, Frank might say, they might confirm what I've always believed, and that is that I have no value. Ah. By that point, you're probably like a puddle on the floor, right? You're just like, oh, my soul has been exposed. So why did Frank go really quiet? Because the situation hit onto a core belief that he's not sure whether he matters. And because of that, Frank is very, finding it very hard to let the love of God overflow in his life and in that moment. Do you see what you're doing if you go through a process like that? You are inviting the Holy Spirit to open your heart to what is true about you. It's not the same thing as a neurotic shame-inducing inventory. Instead, it's a way of opening yourself within the safety of his love so that you can authentically seek transformation. Now, if you've discovered this core belief, doubt in your worth, it can be a really vulnerable place to be, and we need to know what to do with that. And the first thing we need to do is we need to acknowledge it. You take the time to see how that core belief may affect a number of your actions, and then you bring it to God, and you lay it at his feet. You thank him for revealing it, and you ask him for healing. And you'll find something as you ask for healing. You'll find the next step in the process. Do you know what that is? No, do you actually, do you want to know what that is? Great, come back next week. <laughs> Warren's going to dig more into what the next step in that process is. But let's be honest first. I don't want to go too fast. I don't want to go, okay, we're going to go down and then, all right, here's all the answers. Because first, I think we need to sit in that place of recognizing and understanding what God is wanting us to surrender to him. It's a process we all have to go through. And I know there are parts in my life and there are times when God has uh, challenged me to look at something of my life, an area, just a behavior in, that I see something deeper going on. And it's hard. And as I bring it to him, sometimes I feel like, yeah, can we just pray a prayer? <laughs> That'd be so much easier. Can we just, you know, have some miraculous healing and then I don't worry about it anymore? But actually, when I have done the work and I've been able to see what's been going on, Lord, search me. Know my anxious thoughts. Lead me in the way everlasting. And even been able to acknowledge, oh, yeah. There is that thing, and it's something that I need you to change. And sit there with him and his love. It's been powerful, and it's been transformational. 
It's been a renewing of my mind. It's what God wants to do in each of us. Psalm 139 concludes, Lead me in the way everlasting. We want God to bring change to us that's not merely surface deep. We want to see his transformation in every area. And that begins with a bit of uh, honest, deep reality. So now it's, it's over to you. Do you want a life that overflows? Then the source of that life had better be pure. If you want a life that overflows with God's love, then yeah, there's a bit of hard work. But I can't make you do that. And I can't convince you that that's the right thing to do. You need to decide for yourself. Are you willing or are you just going to stick with behavior management? Our aim is not to be perfect. There are certain things and deep things that maybe we won't get transformed now. But our aim is to be more like Lucy and less like Frank. Not just good on the outside, but renewed on the inside. It takes time. It's a process of healing and transformation. So, are you willing this week to take the time to sit? And it may take some time. It may be that you have to actually clear things out for 20 minutes, half an hour. I know hard when you've got kids. But there you take 20 minutes, half an hour, and you sit in God's presence and say, God, search me. Lead me in your way. I challenge you to do that this week. And then come back next week and we'll see what the next part of the story is. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.